Good morning. Um, it is great to, to be here. Um, apparently one of the pastoral team here was supposed to speak and uh, got sick on, on Thursday. And uh, so I got the call and um, I was the only member of my family and uh, my staff who uh, wasn't serving, wasn't doing anything. And so um, uh, the Lord appointed for us to be here together this morning and I'm excited to be with Harvest Muskoka again. I hope, I just want to say something about worship this morning. Um, it's easy for me uh, because of uh, the leadership gifts that God's put into me to sit in my own church often and, and be analyzing and um, critiquing and pulling apart and how could we make that better. And sometimes it's harder to worship in that context. Could you, could you understand that, maybe how that would happen? And uh, this morning, I've just been able to come and worship here this morning, and it's been a real pleasure. And I hope you don't take for granted those musicians who got here exceptionally early when it was still dark and put this together and helped you worship this morning. I felt so blessed this morning to be worshiping here, and I thought it was a great package. Thank you for uh, doing that and uh, laying that out this morning for us. I felt uh, very ministered to. Uh, so I hope you don't take that for granted, do you? And uh, just really appreciate those who uh, lead you in worship every week. Well, we um, are here, and I know it's already been said a few times, here we are on the last day of the year, and what would be a great word going into uh, 2018, and how, as we start a brand new year in front of us, what could be a great word, a great uh, focus from the Lord going into this new year? Um, as you know, we, um, we uh, many of you will know, we moved into a new facility, uh, 16 years of setup and teardown. Um, I see people standing at the back with Bibles who would probably want me to say something about that. If you need a Bible, um, they will put one into your hand. So uh, we, don't, we don't do that drill at home, so, uh, but see how I was able to figure that out? That's good, right? Um, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand right now. So we got into this new facility, 16 years of set up and tear down, and uh, we have the record in Harvest World for that, and um, we, uh, we're glad to set the record aside now and uh, to uh, put a, an end date on that, and we've just been enjoying what God has provided uh, for us. One of the curiosities about it is that the building is very, very well known in our city because it was a veterans hall with multiple banquet facilities and literally thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people in Barrie and Simcoe County have been into this building for all kinds of trade shows and meetings and weddings and dances and uh, cards and all kinds of things that have gone on in that building over 40 years and so they're very curious about it. And uh, as we moved into the building, we saw just an inordinate number of guests coming through the doors week after week after week. We were seeing, uh, on average, not that the numbers mean uh, very much at all, but we were seeing about uh, 20 to 21 uh, guest units every single weekend. And so uh, that's, a, I guess, you know, it would be a family, an individual, or a couple. And so we were seeing hundreds and hundreds of people over the first uh, three, four months coming through the doors. So I had all kinds of conversations with people. And one woman actually asked me a question, um, if, I could, if, if she could get together with me to talk about these things a little bit more. And so I made the arrangement to get together with her at our office. And um, I would say that she is interested in faith, but uh, not there yet, and she made it clear to me. We sat down, and one, the first thing she said to me was, I'm a little uncomfortable with how freely you talk about Jesus. And um, I, I appreciated her honesty so much. I get, though, that someone who doesn't know Jesus and isn't in the faith could be uncomfortable with how freely we talk about him. 
how often we talk about him, how open we are about him. And I, and I want to tell you this, if you happen to be a guest here today, because Harvest Muskoka is no different than Harvest Berry, if you're a guest here today and you're not quite there with Jesus and you're still a little uncomfortable with that, that you're welcome here and we're glad you're here and continue on in the journey and keep investigating and keep pressing in on all of that, come with your reservations, come with your questions, and um, also give us the courtesy, since you've come to be a part of us this morning in our house, uh, give us the courtesy of freely talking about him because at the end of the day, we love him so much and he has provided everything for us. He is our very life and breath, amen? He's our very life and breath. And it is our intent, as we have done in worship today and in getting his word open in front of us now, it is our intent to lift high his name in this place and among these people. And so this is a word in some ways for those who are not quite there yet, but it's also a strong word, again, as we end this year. It's a strong word for those who do know and love Jesus already. We need to be reminded constantly that this is about him because we can easily become, all of us can easily become self-focused. We can easily become self-centered. We can easily make it about us. And so really as we look at this, this passage, it, none of us gets a pass. The elders don't get a pass. The pastors don't get a pass. The small group leaders don't get a pass. Those who have walked with Jesus for 30, 40 years don't get a pass on this because it's so easy for us to get so wrapped up in our own lives to allow the circumstances of life to come at us so hard to start thinking about how this affects me and oh, woe is me and to get our eyes off of Jesus because all of this is about him. And if you profess him as Savior, your entire life is about him. And so that's where we want to go. That's, in essence, the word that we're going to have uh, today and going into the new year. In Hebrews 12, 2, it's put this way. The preacher, the book of Hebrews, is a sermon transcript. And the author of Hebrews says this in, in, in 12, 2. We are to, and this is from the NIV because I just prefer this language better, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Get our eyes off of ourselves. Get our eyes off of our circumstances and fix them on Jesus. It's the only way to do the two most important things that we need to do. The first is to please God. It's the only way to please God. And we want to please God. I hope that in coming here today, at least in part, your goal in coming here today was to please God. I hope that in the entirety of your life, you're about pleasing God. That's, that's part of why we fix our eyes on Jesus. But then also this, to be personally fulfilled. You want to be personally fulfilled? You want to feel like your life matters? You want to feel like you're heading in the right direction? You want to have the right sense of identity? You want to have a sense that you're loved? All of that is only going to come if you fix your eyes on Jesus. If you feel like 2017 in some ways, you're looking back on this, and you're going, like, that was a bit of a disappointment to me. I feel like I didn't make any progress. I don't feel 
personally fulfilled finishing this year. As I look at a new year, I'm more hopeful. I, I, I'm thinking maybe I can make some progress on that. Well, I, listen, that's only going to happen if you fix your eyes on Jesus. And so we're going to look at that. Let me read uh, the verses, just two verses in front of us today, but two verses that are packed. So let me uh, pray these two uh, let me, let me uh, read these two verses and then I'll pray for us and we'll uh, start working through them. This is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Father, please, please bless and sanctify this time. Set it apart for your purposes in the hearts of every person in this room. Clear our minds to be able to hear and understand what's being said from your word. Father, clear our hearts so that we wouldn't be drawn away to anything other than obedience to your will and your ways. Father, do a transforming work in this room and among these people today. Do it, Father, in my own heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You agree with that prayer? All right. Let's get after this. To live a life that is both God-pleasing and personally fulfilling, those are the two things we're going after, I must fix my eyes on Jesus, as so many others have in the past. That's, in fact, where the preacher in Hebrews 12 takes us first. He takes us to this idea of this cloud of witnesses. Notice verse 1, we are surrounded, he's speaking to us now, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So who are they? Who's, who's watching us? Who are these witnesses to our life? Well, it's a picture of a race. Uh, the whole package is about a race here, and we have this idea of, of grandstands and spectators in the grandstands watching us run our race or live our life for him. The race is obviously an analogy for life, and the context of Hebrews 12 here points back to Hebrews 11, where you see all of these great heroes of the faith. They had lived their lives by faith. Old Testament believers who had, if you look back to Hebrews 12, you have your Bibles, but Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. These people of faith were hoping for something they didn't have yet. They had this confident assurance of good things from God in the future, and they were trying to lay their hands on those things, living for him. These were things were not yet realized. They had a conviction of things not yet seen. You can see the list of names, and if you know the Old Testament, it reads like a table of contents of, of great heroes of the faith. Uh, verse 4, you have Abel. Verse 5, Enoch. Verse 7, Noah. Some of the earliest uh, believers. Faithful, faithful men who lived for Christ, lived for God. Abraham, in verse 8, gets a lengthier uh, section. His wife Sarah lived by faith. 
Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses are all mentioned here. He talked about the children of Israel in verse 29 and Rahab the prostitute, verse 31. And in verse 32, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, all so faithful, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen in their lives, they were seeking to live God-pleasing lives and personally fulfilling lives. And they were, verse 39 says, commended through their faith. They fixed their eyes on the promise of Jesus Christ. The very same thing that we're being asked to do. It's really no more complicated than that. We have these examples. We have these people who have lived before us. We read the scriptures to hear their stories so that we might emulate their lives and their faith. And so to live a life that's both God-pleasing and personally fulfilling, I must fix my eyes on Jesus as so many others have in the past. And I need to do that, notice this next, by removing all obstacles to the faith. By removing all obstacles to faith. The verse continues. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, by the way, all of these names that I read, these men and women of faith from Hebrews 11, none of them were perfect. Every single one of them was susceptible to the same temptations that we are, to the same sin that we are, to the same life struggles and circumstances that we are. What's so astounding about getting the word of God open is to look at people who lived thousands of years before us and are going through the exact same stuff we are. The human condition hasn't changed at all. That's why they're such great examples for us. They're no perfect people. In fact, in that list, you have people who were so very weak and expressed their weakness, who expressed their lack of faith. You have people who were liars. You have people who were cheaters. You have people in this list who were murderers and adulterers and prostitutes. That's great news for the people of Muskoka, isn't it, that list? Isn't that great news? That's great news for the people in Barrie. That's what I know. The people of my church. In fact, that's a motley crew in Hebrews 11. Or a line that I read some months ago and have applied to our church on multiple occasions now. We are at Harvest Barrie and you are at Harvest Muskoka, a mob of misfits. Don't ever forget it. Because all the faithful people of history, all the people who were living for God, at the end of the day were misfits and saved by him. And so notice now, if we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses and we're gonna lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to obstacles that distract us, notice in the text, there's this weight and there's this sin two obstacles, two things that will distract us from fixing our eyes on Jesus, which is our goal. So let's talk about these distractions, and let's um, do that by talking, first of all, about 
Uh, the greatest distraction in our life today, or one of the things that we talk so often about, is uh, distracted driving because we are so very attached to our smartphones, aren't we? Confess your sin now. <laughs> we are so very attached to our smartphones, and some of us have not clued in to how dangerous it is to look at it at all while we're driving. This is a serious issue. In fact, there uh, are uh, many studies that just show how much we're uh, addicted to this now, and it's distracting us from so many things that are more important in life. There was a man in Vancouver just back in September, CBC reported on this. He was in downtown Vancouver, and the Vancouver police stopped him on a downtown street for texting and driving. And so he got a um, ticket, a $368 fine for distracted driving using his cell phone, and four points. Eight minutes Later, six blocks down the road, another Vancouver police officer stopped him again, gave him another $368 fine and four more points. Apparently, he had not learned his lesson. So in uh, British Columbia uh, numbers, that's $736 in fines and $520 in fees for the eight demerit points he received for a total of $1,256, or roughly the price of a new iPhone 10. I mean, that's a problem, that, that you, just, you just got stung for it, and you're still so distracted by it that you get stung again. I wonder if he had gone six more blocks and another cop had been there if he had been stopped again. And I don't know if you realize this, but if you're doing 90 kilometers an hour, that's the posted speed limit on Highway 11 between Gravenhurst and Aurelia, 90 kilometers. I know no one does that, but I'm just saying that's the posted speed limit, correct? Okay, so 90 kilometers an hour, you're heading down Highway 11, and if you look down at your phone for just five seconds, that's no time at all. You look down at your phone for just five seconds, it is as if you have traveled, think about this now, the length of a football field blindfolded. Is that not frightening? And yet we continue to do this. So many distractions that keep us from pleasing God. We are in, in effect, okay, public service announcement over about texting and driving. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. But there's a far more important principle here that this is the way we treat our relationship with God. And when the word of God says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, but we're looking over here at this and we're turned toward this and we're so focused on this circumstance and we're so concerned with our own lives and we're just not keeping our eyes fixed on him. And just like when we're texting and driving, what's happening is you're drifting over into the other lane. You're, 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 you're drifting off into the shoulder and hitting the rumble strips. And, and worst case scenarios, you're hitting that guardrail and bouncing back into traffic or you're going into oncoming traffic or you're down in the ditch and you're creating a real disaster for yourself and for others. On city streets, you might go up over a sidewalk and kill a pedestrian. It's the same in our spiritual lives. When we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, listen, we're drifting out of the lane God wants us in. We're putting ourselves and others at peril when we're not fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
And so we have these distractions, the, the weight and the sin. The weight here is not necessarily sin. These are two different things. The weight is not necessarily sin, but anything, even a good thing, that might keep me from greater devotion to Jesus. Am I focused on those things, on good things? Have I given good things and blessings in my life more uh, preeminence than Jesus Christ himself, the giver of these things? When you think about this in terms of the race illustration now, the athlete who's running doesn't carry anything with them. Now, I get that the people, there's nobody out running this morning. I watched for somebody out running this morning, but it's like, it's cold out, right? So, uh, but, but normally, you know, around the city, and I'm sure it's the same up here, people go out running. I don't understand why they do that, but they do. And, and generally speaking, when people run kind of around this area, if they're just going out recreational or for, for their own benefit, um, they, especially if it's a little cooler, they'll be wearing a little bit more clothing and they might have an iPhone with them and have their earphones in and they might have some kind of a distance tracker or they might have some water with them. You know, they're, and they're running, carrying a little bit more extra weight because they can, because they're just doing it recreationally. But then when you get to watching track and field events, competition, or you look at the Olympics, um, I mean, they're just like not wearing hardly anything at all, right? They have the very smallest shoes they could possibly wear and not really much in the way of clothing and uh, because they want to lay aside every weight. Now, if you know the history of this, back to the Olympic Games, okay, they ran naked. They ran naked. Okay, people that weren't even listening now, they're listening, right? Because did he say naked? He said naked. They ran naked because they wanted to lay aside every weight. Now, let's just vote right now. Clothing is a good thing. Yes? Everybody agree? Clothing is a good thing. And, and uh, we all agree that. There's nothing inherently wrong with clothing. It's, it's, it's an excellent thing. It's a good thing. It's a blessing from God. And so we're not talking about something sinful. We're laying aside a weight that's a blessing in order to run a race and not be hindered in any way so we want to lay aside every weight. Do you, have, um, do you have a sport that you compete in? Do you have a leisure activity? Do you have a hobby that you have? Those are all good things. But do you do those things so often? Do you invest so much money in them? Are you giving so much of your time and energy and attention to it that it's actually consuming your life and taking away from your family, your friends, your, your worship of the Lord, your ability to serve him? Do you have a relationship in your life? Relationships are great things. The church is built around relationships. God gave us the church so we would be in relationship. The greatest relationship we can have is the one that's ordained by God called marriage. We have great relationships with our kids. Relationships are good things ordained by God. But a friendship, a dating relationship, a marriage, our children, can all become a weight to us, even though they're so good, when we focus too much on the relationship to the exclusion of keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. And so, uh, just a couple of examples uh, there. I think you uh, get the idea. We want to remove all obstacles to faith, even the things that can be good in our lives. Those need to be put in proper perspective. The second distraction or obstacle is sin itself. 
Maybe, um, maybe you're thinking, you know what, end of the year, Todd, it's that, it's that Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. You're supposed to take it a little lighter on us, uh, not, not make it too heavy. Maybe we could skip the sin part of this. And uh, the challenge is here at Harvest, uh, we don't skip any parts of the Scriptures, do we? If it's there in the text, we, we don't run over it. We uh, stop to look at it, and sin is mentioned here. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you can't do anything else but think about sin when you look at Him. You see His holiness, and you realize you're so far off the mark and how much you need His mercy and grace. I think about Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 5. When he gets into the throne room, God brings him into the very throne room of heaven and shows him great and wonderful visions and gives him a word from the Lord. And Isaiah's first reaction in the face of the holiness of God is, woe is me! I'm, I'm, I'm lost, he said. I'm, I'm a man undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord, the King of glory. When you worship him and you get it, you realize how holy he is and how sinful you are, you want to repent. You want to get things right with him. You want to live in holiness. The necessary antidote for sin is Jesus. And when we get our eyes fixed on him, his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness flows to us. We have hope and we have salvation in him. You see what we're doing here? We're building a phrase to live a life that is both God-pleasing and personally fulfilling. I must fix my eyes on Jesus as so many others have in the past by removing all obstacles to faith. And we do all of this, notice next, while persevering through all circumstances. Now this is what trips uh, so many uh, believers up when it comes to faith. Because Jesus has solved our eternal problem. At the moment that we become followers of Christ, we confess our sins, we receive Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, he solves the eternal problem of sin, but we still face living in this sin-sickened world that, to continue, that continues to throw awful things at us, whether we believe or not. Maybe, maybe this past year was a disappointment to you because you're like up in God's grill saying, you know what, I just expected this year was going to be so much better and you threw this trial at me and I went through this difficulty and I'm so faithfully serving you and why, why, why was my year so hard? Well, you got some bad math going on. Because just because you have turned your life over to Jesus Christ and, and received the forgiveness of sins and you're walking with him and you're faithfully serving him and giving to him and all the things that we do as the followers of Christ does not mean that you and I get a pass on hard things that happen. No one gets a pass. We're all still living in this sin-tainted world. No one gets a pass on the life is hard thing. 
And that's why the preacher goes on to say, again, verse one just continues, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I mean, if life isn't gonna be hard once you become a follower of Christ, then you don't need a line like this in a sermon. You don't need this to be built into the scriptures. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If life wasn't hard, we wouldn't be, need to be told to in, endure. Again, back to the race analogy, he's got the ancient Olympics in mind, and no doubt the premier event, the marathon in mind, which was an endurance race. 26, just over 26 miles, 42 kilometers. I have no category for this, people running that far. I don't even understand this. I, don't, I can't even remember the last time I ran, honestly. No idea when that was. So he's got the marathon in mind. There's no doubt. That's a, I mean, what I know about running, I've read, okay? So that just sounds like a, a long distance to me. How about this one? The, this is the one you only ever see in the Olympics, the steeplechase. How many people know what the steeplechase is, right? How many people? You don't, how many people know what the steeplechase is? Just raise your hand for a second. Wow, very few of you. Okay, so this is a three- thousand meter race, so that's three kilometers, is around the track at the Olympic venue, but every once in a while they just run you a little bit off the track and there's this uh, very large hurdle, not like the normal hurdles, but a very large hurdle and it's actually like, a, I don't know if it's a four by four or a six by six that you have to jump over and then once you've jumped over it, you land in a pit of water and then you gotta run out of that it's inclined and then back onto the track. You do this for three kilometers and you have several of these obstacles that you have to go over. And um, I just think like, there's a picture of life. Run with endurance, the race that is set before you. I think life's more like the steeplechase. Because here you are, you're just running along. That's hard enough. You gotta run three kilometers. Every once in a while, you're gonna get bumped off the track. You're gonna have to jump over this thing that you can't really jump over. You have to jump over on top of it. And then you kind of jump down and you think you've accomplished something great because you've gotten over that obstacle. And now you're, you're in the water and you're wet and, and, and sometimes you fall over into it face first and other runners are coming up behind you. Tell me this isn't your life. They're jumping over onto your head. Isn't life like that sometimes? It's like, okay, I'm running, I'm running, life is hard, I'm running, I'm running, now I'm off the track, now I gotta jump, that's hard, I'm up on the top, I jump down, I fall, I'm in the water, I feel like I'm drowning, someone just jumped on my head, and it's like, it's, how often is this true? It's never just one trial, but it's two and it's three, and things come so hard at us in multiple things at the same time, and I'm, I'm thinking, the steeplechase is a more apt picture. And then I thought about the triathlon. And I honestly do not know what's wrong with these people that run the triathlon. <laughs> the worst, is there one of those up here in Muskoka? The triathlon in the summer? Yeah, this I don't understand. So, the, and the Ironman's the worst of them. I wrote some numbers down here. This is insane, but it starts with a, um, essentially a four kilometer swim um, a 180-kilometer bike ride. Is that like biking to Barry and back? Something like that, right? 
and then a full marathon of 42 kilometers. I mean, that's just ridiculous when you think about it. But again, that's like life. We're talking about an endurance race. Think about it in terms of life. I mean, you're, you're swimming and you're swimming and, it's, and the waves are hitting you and there's all the turbulence from all the other swimmers around you. We're all just trying to make it to the same place you are. And you get out of there and you're, you're wet and you're tired and you're exhausted and now you gotta hop on a bike and, and you gotta pedal for, uh, what did I say? 180 kilometers and all the dangers associated with being on the bike and you finish that and you're dead tired and God, I don't have any more and I don't think I can take one more thing. Run, you gotta run 42 kilometers. That's life. I'm, I'm, I'm 53 years old. I keep thinking that at some point I'm gonna get a little break. You know, you raise your kids and, and you think you're never gonna survive the diaper years. And then you get to the school age years and then you're raising teenagers. And then that's all easy compared to getting them into adulthood. Let me tell you, raising 20-somethings and getting them established Listen, those of you who are changing diapers right now, just, it's, that's the easy stuff. Honestly, that's the easy stuff. Helping them with homework through the school age, that's easy. Compared to navigating life, our youngest son said to us uh, recently, yeah, dad, we don't, uh, he's, tw he's 21, yeah, we don't need you very often, but when we need you, it's big. And that's true. And that's true. And then, and then you're just getting them out the door and your parents are getting older and they're acting like children. Don't tell my parents if you know them I said that, okay? <laughs> not so, so it's just safer to preach out of town. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying though? Some of you get it. There are no breaks. You just keep going. It's a swim, it's a bike, it's a run. And then you're done. We gotta persevere through every circumstance. Your life will never be fulfilling if every trial, every hardship, every setback is seen as a negative. If you think that God is out to get you or God has dealt me a bad hand, you can't look back on this year and think that at all. Fulfillment comes when you recognize God is choosing what's best for you and loving you through it. Fulfillment comes when you have faith to believe that all things Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And when you have that kind of faith, you'll be persevering through every circumstance and all the while laser-focused and fully embracing him as my Savior, my Lord, my example, and my God. That's what we see next as we move into verse two. Again, looking to Jesus. The NIV says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one and only Savior. He says in verse two, he's the founder of our faith. He's, he's, he came to this earth in flesh. He identified with us in our humanity. He was tempted to sin as we are. He submitted himself to death on the cross. He had to persevere through all of it. He took our sins on himself. He became the final sacrifice for sin. 
He was resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He defeated sin and death on our behalf. He's the founder of our faith. He's our savior. Is he your savior? He's also my Lord. The second descriptor identifies him as the perfecter of our faith. That is to say, he is in control of everything. He is sovereign over everything. And he will bring everything to completion. He is so in control that everything is working perfectly according to his plan. A day is coming when our faith will be made sight and his plan will have rolled out exactly as God intended it to work out. Just as he had willed it. I know that's hard to believe sometimes. It's hard to believe when you look at kind of global events and is God really in control of things? And I can say with absolute assurance on this last day of the year, there is nothing happening in the news today. There is nothing in your Twitter feed that is taking God by surprise, nothing. The Lord knows that Trump is president of the United States. He knows that Putin is in Russia. He knows that uh, what's his face is in North Korea. He's not concerned about it at all. So many people are so concerned about the president, so concerned about Russian hackers, so concerned about North Korean missiles. None of it has taken God by surprise. None of it is outside of his control. God is the perfecter of our faith. He's bringing everything to completion. He is my Lord, and I'm resting in that. Nothing that's going to happen in 2018 is going to take God by surprise. I don't need to worry about it, not even a little bit. Because he's my Savior, he's my Lord, and he's also my example. Verse 2 continues, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He did what he's asking us to do. He did it. We're to fix our eyes on him as he fixed his eyes on the Father. His eyes were on pleasing the Father and fulfilling his mission. He looked past the immediate crushing circumstance of the cross. He looked past it. He looked through it to see the Father. He looked beyond the shame that was heaped on him and the horror of having the Father turn his back on him. And we need to do that too to follow his example. Now, no doubt Jesus is an example but he is first Lord and Savior. There's a a caution here that we need to hear that him being an example is a byproduct of his Lordship and him being Savior. We need to make sure that we're not simply looking to Jesus in some sentimental way and saying he was such a good teacher and I like to follow his example. That's not even close to being the first thing that should be on our minds and hearts. C.S. Lewis said it best, in fact, and this is one of his more familiar quotes from Mere Christianity. Lewis said this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
on the level with the man who said he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Don't fall into the error of thinking that following Jesus' teaching and example is a nice positive way to live. Come here knowing that you are a sinner. Come broken. Come acknowledging that you have no ability to reach God on your own. Come humbly and throw yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ. Come ready to receive grace, the free gift he offers of his own righteousness. Believe and fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord. And only then, once you have been saved by him, follow his example and model your life after his. And then finally, uh, this one more. Jesus is my God. The verse concludes by saying that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and I, I make no defense for the fact that Jesus is the problem. He is the problem with what we believe, if I can put it that way. He's the dividing line, the uniqueness that he has among all the small s saviors of the world, all the small g gods of the world. That's what gets people bent out of shape. Peter said in his first letter that he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We make no mistake of all the things that people could think about us. Let it be this, that Jesus Christ is God and that we worship him as such. And this is why someone would meet with me and say, just a little uncomfortable with how often and how freely you talk about Jesus. Let that be true of me in 2018. Let that be true of you in 2018. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, first I, I would pray for any in the room who as yet have not bowed before you and confessed their sin. And God, that this morning would be their morning. That whatever circumstances of life uh, they have been through, whatever uh, sins they have committed, you would meet them where they are right now and forgive them that your grace would flood into their lives. And they would become a son or daughter of the king in this moment. And God, I pray for each one of us in this room who already profess you as Savior. And Father, I've needed this reminder today. Get my eyes on you. Not on my circumstances. Not on my situation. Not even on the blessings I have. Certainly not on the sin that tempts me so often to fix my eyes on you. I pray that every 
believer in the room would be recommitting themselves in this moment to making that true of themselves in this new year that's coming. Father, thank you so much for hearing this prayer, for allowing us this time in your word, for allowing us this time to meet together as the church. Hear us now as we worship you in Christ's name.